Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. If you're joining us today for the first time, a special welcome to you. Uh, In this ministry, we are uh, putting our emphasis on prophecy, the one-third of the Bible that uh, God has given us so that we can better understand what his plans are for mankind. Uh, Mankind would include you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. It would include the Jews of Israel, and it would include the unbelieving Gentiles, those three groups. And the Bible actually specifies those three groups uh, in the New Testament as the three major components that God looks at, the three major components that the Bible deals with from Genesis to Revelation. And there is one-third of the Bible that is dedicated to prophecy, and that's what the purpose of this teaching ministry is. And we spent uh, quite a bit of time with the initiation of this ministry going over why study Bible prophecy. And we went through 13 points about why it's important that we spend uh, our precious time doing that because the Bible tells us that what pleases God is the study of his word. It actually says having knowledge of God, but the way you have knowledge of God is to study his precious word. And it says that that pleases him. And through the the other thing that it specifically says that pleases him is being about his work, being uh, manifesting your love for him through good works. Well, what drives you, what, what um, motivates you to want to be about good works is the growth in the knowledge of who God is, what your relationship is with him through the Holy Spirit, through his son Jesus. And it that is what gives you a, a purpose for wanting to be about his work because ultimately our purpose on this earth is to glorify God. And what glorifies God most with with you as an individual is your belief in his son Jesus Christ because through that one simple act you then become you you transition from a lost soul destined for the lake of fire and eternal torment which is separation from God to a son or daughter of God through the blood of Jesus Christ that's what glorifies God that's what pleases God and when we do that we then receive the holy spirit And it's the Holy Spirit that we call on on a daily, regular basis. That's who we pray through to God. And it's the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And it says he will never leave us. And it says that what he wants to do more than anything is to share the knowledge of God and his will with us, to edify us, to train us, to teach us up, so that we can become more knowledgeable. more We'll never be perfectly knowledgeable of God and of the triune Godhead until we see Jesus face-to-face at the rapture. I, I 
totally believe that. I understand that. But our responsibility as a Christian is to grow in our knowledge. It's called sanctification. And God has given us all that we need to do that, all that we need to bring that about in our lives. And it's the 66 books of the Bible. And he is imploring us to study his word because in his word is everything we need to know about him. And as we understand, the more the more and more we understand about God and about his son and about his Holy Spirit, the more we have the confidence of what God has planned for us as his sons and daughters. And it's it's so it's so exciting. And that's why I'm I'm so excited about this ministry and to be able to share this with you. And as you um engage in this with me. I, I want nothing more than for you to uh, share back with me and through me, the, the audience, with questions that you have and experiences that you have that would uh, further edify those that are listening, because that's what this all about is all about, is once we have Jesus Christ, once we, once we start learning about him, we want to share that. We want to share that with other people. And through that, the world knows and learns about Jesus Christ. So it's it's the power of the church, the power of the Holy Spirit working through the individual uh, who are the building blocks of the church that make it up. We are not a building of brick and mortar. We are a building of individual saints filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what uh, this ministry is about. And we're getting ready uh, in a few weeks to launch into an overview of the 30 chronological sequenced events of Bible prophecy yet to unfold. And as I was preparing the, uh, the um, worksheets for that, I came to the realization that we, there were some prophetic terms we need to have a clear understanding of before we launch into that, or it will make it uh, um, not as easy to follow and understand. So that's what we're into here, and we've got seven sets of prophetic terms, and the first of these, point number one, I consider to be the most important, and by the way, the seven that I have listed is certainly not exhaustive, but it's seven that came to me as I was preparing that overview of Bible prophecy that I think is important to have a good grasp of, and of course, you know uh, from the announcer of the program here at WHCB Radio that we have these worksheets available that you can download them right off of the um, the radio station's worksite here. Um, um, and you can follow along with us uh, scripture by scripture. So we're in point number one, and we have been uh, talking about the Son of God, and we have been developing the point about uh, God being, or God prophesied the um, the coming of Jesus all the way back uh, we went to Deuteronomy 18 in this particular case where Moses specifically describes this prophet that would be promised uh, by God to be sent to the people, and it specifically says, God says, listen to him. When he comes, listen to him. And we went through some scriptures in Matthew 3 and Matthew 17 where Jesus started his ministry in Matthew 3 and was was um said alongside John the Baptist when God's voice came from heaven and said, this is my son. I want you to pay attention to him. It's him I am well pleased with. Listen to him. And he was differentiating Jesus from John the Baptist because people were really focusing on John the Baptist. But God said, no, I want you to focus on my son. And then we went through Matthew 17 
and uh, went through context with Matthew 10 and Matthew 16 to make the point that in Jesus' ministry, the apostles had gone out, as did Jesus himself, with the gospel of the kingdom, and the people were not accepting it. They were not accepting Christ for who he was and is. And therefore, um, we find out in Matthew 16 that, that, that Jesus changes his total focus from the gospel of the kingdom, which he had been preaching, he and the apostles, to the gospel of grace. So his shift, his shift was away from Israel and to the yet-to-be-started church. Remember, the church didn't start until after Jesus had been um, gloriously resurrected back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, and the church starts in Acts chapter 2. But he was referring to that in Matthew 16. So this was a low point. So Jesus, uh, sensing that, took a handful of the key apostles up to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, the very next chapter, and shows himself along with Moses and Elijah. And the point here was uh, God uh, set up this opportunity for him to verbally, Peter and the apostles heard this, they saw it and they heard it. God said, this is my son. The same thing again, the same thing that was said in Deuteronomy as a prophecy, the same thing that was said by God Uh, verifying that Deuteronomy prophecy in Matthew 3, and now it's being done again. And it's being done at a point in time when Israel has turned their backs on Jesus, and he's now starting his ministry move, if you will, geographic move towards Jerusalem and his crucifixion. But he starts it with this transfiguration before them, and God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So again, He's telling the, the apostles, don't focus on Moses. Don't focus on Elijah. I know that's what the people want to do. That's what the people think I am. I'm a reincarnation probably of these. No, I'm not. And this is God talking. I want you to know, apostles, that this is my son. This is the promised Messiah. He's the one you should follow, and you need to listen to him. And as they found out in Deuteronomy 18, if you don't listen to him, you will die and spend your eternity in, in the lake of fire. So those, those points were there to verify the prophetic pronouncement made 1,400 years before in Deuteronomy. Then we went to 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter relates this again in his epistle, his second epistle, and he relates in detail how God spoke And in God's speaking, it made the scriptures, the prophetic scriptures, even more clear. In fact, in verse 19 of 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you. So do you see that change in the pronouns? He's talking about we, we the apostles that were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw this. We heard this. This made the prophetic word from the Old Testament more sure, and now you, he's now turning his attention to the church, he's saying, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And then he confirms that Scripture comes from God through the Holy Spirit. It didn't come from man, and I shouldn't say Scripture, prophecy. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. That's verse 20. So to make the point that Peter confirms this again, that who is this son of God 
that was prophesied in the Old Testament came to the earth, God confirmed him as the Son of God who has come to do his purposes here on this earth, which is ultimately to be the perfect sacrifice. And then, of course, we know that the the, the Israelites did not uh, accept Jesus. They rejected him. And I wanted to interject one more verse in here, and it's in your worksheet, uh, but I didn't uh, mention it the last time. I was going to transition into our our next um, portion, if you will, of of description of the Son of God, and that's his, his fleshly likeness. But I wanted to go to one more to finish up this point about the prophecy of his coming. And that's found in John, the book of John, the apostle, the um, gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and I want to go to verse 43 to the end of the chapter. And he's now admonishing them. Because remember, um, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus appeared in his glorified form, what he will look like when he comes back at his second coming, that on, on one side was Moses and on the other side was Elijah, and God was making the point, focus on Jesus, don't focus on Moses, don't focus on Elijah. Jesus is now um, criticizing, if you will, the Israelites, and let's see how this reads. This is John chapter 5, and start at verse 43. Jesus speaking, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And that's referring to Deuteronomy 18, which we've been spending a lot of time on here. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So there's a direct uh, argument that Jesus is bringing. Actually, it's, it's an accusation that Jesus is bringing against the Israelites who are saying, no, it's Moses that we're believing in. It's Moses that we have our faith on. And that was the point of the Mount of Transfiguration, was God, God, booming voice from heaven saying, this is my son. And he's, by uh, by inference here, it's not Moses and it's not Elijah, it's my son. But obviously Jesus is saying, it's obvious that the Israelites have turned their backs on me Therefore, they've turned their backs on God, the one who sent me, because you would rather believe Moses. And this is just a very low, sad point in in the New Testament history of Israel where they're turning their backs on Jesus. And of course, we learn later that this generation that turned their backs on Jesus was a cursed generation. All right, what I'd like to do now in developing this this, uh, understanding of the Son of God is we know that he was prophesied, um, that he is the Son of God, that he came, that God confirmed in Matthew 3 and Matthew 17 as examples that this is my Son in whom whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
And the point is, he didn't come as a ghost. He didn't come as some odd manifestation or didn't come just as a book or something. He came in the flesh so that he could directly relate with man and man could relate with him and to him through his fleshly experiences. So what I'd like to do is look at a handful of scriptures here that have to do with why Jesus came in the flesh to do what he did. Um, And so so let's start out in Philippians. So we're in the New Testament. We were in John chapter 5 there just a moment ago. So let's continue back to the right past uh, First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, and then get into Philippians. And we want to get into Philippians and go to chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And um, this is a description of Jesus while he was God, allowed himself to become a man in the flesh. This is a big, <laughs> if you will, it's a big deal in the whole understanding of the sacrifice, the, the the sacrifice that was and is Jesus and why he had to do what he did and in the form that he did. So let's look at um, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to go verses 5 to 11. So verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he is God, to step out of the scripture moment, existed in the form of God, he is God, the scripture says, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, or as it says, a thing to be demanded. In other words, he stepped down. Verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see that God uh, could not come down to the earth himself because earth is sinful. Um, God was on the earth in the beginning. He walked in the cool of the garden with man, but man sinned. So therefore, God no longer interacted, if you will, directly in the personhood of God the Father, but he interacted through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that's that's an important concept that we're talking about in uh, answering a question, actually. Uh, as we um, are going through this series, we're answering a question about the, the working of the Holy Spirit and by uh, extension, the working of Jesus and God, the triune Godhead in the affairs of man and how they did it because God the Father could not be in the, the presence of sin. So we only see God the Father at the beginning of Genesis and then we see him at the end of Revelation uh, before there was sin and then after sin was done away with in eternity.
So in the meantime, he works with man through, in this case, Jesus. So at just the right time in history, God sent Jesus. God sent himself, if you want to look at it that way. And that's kind of cool. God sent himself to the earth, taking on the form of a man so that mankind could relate directly with him and have a better understanding of what God wanted them to know about himself through a man as opposed to some other concept, some other a book or another entity or something. It, it was going to be a man, and he did it in the form of Jesus who had to step out of his Godhead, if you will, and empty himself of all of that to become a bondservant so that he could relate to us. And we'll continue to explore that in our next program and what uh, the significance of what this means to be in the likeness of man as the son of God. But we want to continue on to uh, answer a question that we've gotten from Rich in Indian Springs, and that has to do with the working of the Holy Spirit during the period of the seven-year tribulation. And he makes the point that if we understand that the restrainer of evil that's talked about in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, he, he specifically cites verses 7 and 8, and of course we, we read verses 1 through 12 when we started to answer this some programs ago, um, to point out that the restrainer of evil is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the restrainer of evil, is holding back evil on the earth until the Antichrist is set to be revealed. God has appointed a time when this is all going to take place, and the the, um, Antichrist will be revealed only after the restrainer of evil is taken out of the way. Well, the restrainer of evil is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides within the church, um, principally works in and through the church, individuals in the church, you and me. We are restrainers of evil. So when the rapture takes place, that's the Holy Spirit being taken off the earth in, in, uh, as he indwells the church so that the Antichrist can be revealed. Because at that point in time, everybody on the earth is going to be unrighteous. There will be no righteous people on the earth. Otherwise, they would have been taken in the rapture. So Rich, you know, and I, I, I say correctly asked the question, Innocent question, if that's the case, then how can the tribulation saints that are described in Revelation 20, verse 4, be saved if there's no Holy Spirit? So, very good point. And we were talking about um, why, uh, looking at the triune Godhead, which of course the Holy Spirit is a key third component of, why didn't God come down here and do this all himself? Why did, why did he work through the Holy Spirit, or why didn't he work through Jesus throughout the entire Bible. And there, there are specific reasons for that. The first one is looking at God himself. We went back to Genesis chapter 1 and found out that the key to understanding God here is the, is the Hebrew, not the English, because we see the same, the same word God, but in the Hebrew, there are different names. So we see that in Genesis 1.1, the beginning of the creation story through Genesis 2, verse 3, we see the term for God is Elohim, the plural God. Then we find in Genesis 2, verse 4, it shifts from Elohim, the triune plural of God, to Adonai Yehovah, 
Adonai Yehovah. So now we're talking about God the Father. God the Father is now on, uh, specifically, if you will, on the scene. Uh, and he's actually in the garden. And we went to Genesis chapter 3, and we went to uh, to verse 8 to kind of jump right into the the middle of the story here. This is actually in Genesis 3 as an account of the fall of mankind when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one tree in the garden they weren't supposed to eat from is the one that Satan tempted, tempted them to eat from. And of course, uh, from my perspective, that's a, a very clear and probably the first example in the Bible of free will. God gave man the free will to choose whether or not to eat from something that had been forbidden. So they did and they fell. And so we go to Genesis 3 verse 8 and it says, they, Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God. They fe- they heard the sound of Adonai Yehovah walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God Adonai Jehovah among the trees in the garden. So God was there with them in the garden. And you may say, well, hey, that doesn't make sense because God cannot be in the presence of sin and Adam and Eve have just sinned for the first time. And I believe that the reason that God is allowing himself to be here in their presence because he will then no longer be listed as Adonai Jehovah he will work with mankind going forward in different manifestations. And we're going to go through some of those here um, in, in future programs to because uh, I think it's very interesting to see how God manifests himself through God, through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, uh, and through angels as well going forward. But the key thing here is God, the Father God, is interacting with fallen man because what is happening, and it's so wonderful right here, is he's establishing the method of redemption. He is establishing the sacrificial um, process, the death of an animal, the death of a sinless uh, thing. In this case, it was an animal. Remember, the world was without sin. This animal had was just hanging out, wasn't had nothing to do with this fall in the garden, this first act of sin, and God took this sinless animal and killed it. And when he killed it, he then took the skins off that animal and replaced the fig leaves that man had put on himself. Man had decided he was going to figure out how to make God happy himself with the fig leaves. And God said, no, the way this is going to work is only if I kill, if, if an animal, a perfect sinless animal Uh, is killed, its blood is shed, and I take those skins and I clothe you. And we're going to get into into it in our next program to understand when God did this, he provided the example of Jesus Christ, and the skin of the animal is actually a term for clothing with the Holy Spirit. So God sets up this whole plan of redemption, and then you don't see Adonai Jehovah here after that. So we'll get into that in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. 
Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.